Okay, cool. So this is Conversation Squared number nine with Andrew Muir from Poly AI. And Andrew, I met you very briefly at the European Chatbot Conference in Edinburgh, um, but it wasn't quite enough time to really get to know you, where you're from, what you've been up to. So please tell me, tell me a bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it was lovely to, to meet you. And I actually went to your talk at the summit as well and really, really enjoyed it. So ah, thank cool. you. Um, for that as well. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm the lead dialogue designer um, at Poly AI. Um, we've been with the company for about two years in August now. Um, prior to that, I was kind of mainly uh, in journalism a little bit. I was a news writer um, for a kind of legal news company. And then just before working at Poly, I, I was a, a reporter for a, a London newspaper. Um, but in between those kind of stints in journalism, I was doing my master's um, at uh, Oxford in linguistics, uh, phonetics, philology, all that fun stuff. Um, and uh, I think the way I got into conversation design and dialogue design in general was was that kind of background in linguistics, but also kind of having a real interest in tech. And I think like um, doing doing my undergrad, doing my masters, uh, I, I kind of always thought that like tech was quite inaccessible because you had to have a coding background or you had to you know be studying computer science from from, from an early age or like. Um, doing like IT stuff in, in, in high school, which I never touched. Um, and so uh, being able to kind of combine the linguistic side of, of my interest with the kind of tech side, and I learned to code during during the lockdowns and the pandemic and that sort of stuff. Like, um, I think that was just, just a really fun intersection between the two. It's been, it's been a really enjoyable ride so far. <laughs> yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, I, I think I gave you some questions that are coming up about uh, your journalism. Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested to see how that plays into it. So thank you so much. Great to hear where you're coming from. And um, yeah, really lovely stuff. So there's the wee ticker saying 30 seconds ago. You, you just mentioned to me that you heard this on the podcast and you're like, what's the ticker? So for anyone listening on the podcast, on, on the video, you would see a little ticker going along the bottom of the screen, much like a, a news broadcast where it has extra information. Uh, so it just says 30 seconds go. So, Andrew, are you ready for your first roughly 30-second question? I'm ready. Let's do this. Cool. Cool. So please, Andrew, what's your favorite bot, any kind of bot? I think it's a great question. I am a little bit of a nerd, and I'm currently replaying Portal uh, at the moment, if you've played it. So GLaDOS, to me, is like this this wonderful, like all-encompassing, knowledgeable but also terrifying bot, which at, at, at the same time, and it's like playful, but like um, I think just the, the character design that, that they did on it and all the kind of like fun futuristic sound effects that they've got going on is, is wonderful. I think like everything they've done on, on, on that in Portal has been, has been great. <laughs> yeah, excellent. It's an amazing game. I love <laughs> it. Um, yeah, really wonderful design. And have you played the second one? Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, when it first came out, like a good while ago now, I, I played it in a day. Uh, and oh, yeah, yeah, all the characters they introduced there. I think the, the the way that they like create this kind of futuristic, but also like retro world, and the character design that goes into it is just, is just so impressive. Yeah, cool, excellent. Okay, that is a great bot. I I'm tempted to go and play it myself. <laughs> um, so next question, and thank you, lovely brief answer. Um, uh, next question is, you know, I feel like it's it's good to be a wee bit topical and newsworthy and so many people are talking about ChatGPT, which I think, you know, for many, we're not all completely in the 
negative camp or the positive camp, most people are seeing positive and negative. But I think a lot of people are talking about the positive aspect. I would love to know what are your biggest concerns about ChatGPT? Yeah, I think, you know, we talk a lot about the good things about ChatGPT for sure. And there are tons, like we, we I, mean, I play with it every single day and we're using it quite a lot um, uh, for all sorts of applications uh, in, 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 in the industry, really. Uh, and I think there's some really exciting things to come. I don't think people have quite cracked the, the best application for it and, and, and how it will be used. But in, in terms of um, industry-specific like conversation design concerns, I think because it's so easy to build a fully-fledged system very quickly, you kind of end up having this great underlying system. Um, but because it's so quick to build, you don't really spend that much time thinking about interfaces and you might end up with this brilliant system a terrible conversational interface, especially over voice, which is my kind of uh, domain. Uh, and that leads to just kind of zero engagement and actually harms um, all the stuff that the GPT has been doing. I think in terms of like shifting public like opinion around talking to bots, GPT has been brilliant because people are more willing to think, oh, hey, GPT is like this amazing AI. I can use it for pretty much everything. And yeah. that they actually want to like sign up and play with the chatbot, which is amazing. Um, but if you start deploying it in all these situations where you've got terrible interfaces slapped on the front of it, then that kind of reverses that effect. Um, yeah. yeah, great answer. I totally get you. It, exactly. It, it could so easily allow you to build this system and very rapidly ignore the use case and the user's needs and yeah. all the things. Yeah. Sure. I, I think like a lot of people are like, yeah, you've got a big information store and you slap on GPT in front of it and great, we're kind of ready to go. But there's a lot more that kind of goes into it for, for like really effective deployments, I think. Yeah, cool. Yeah, great answer. Great answer. And so the third, um, which I alluded to earlier, um, please, Andrew, do you fall back on skills from your journalistic experience when you design conversations? Um, yeah, I think so, for, for sure. Um there are things like information structure and understanding um, like complex information and distilling that down into as simple a format as possible. Like, um, you know, conversation design, a lot of it is to do with accessibility and understanding. Like I, I have to take a lot of this complicated information that's been given to me potentially by a client and make sure that this is accessible. To everyone. How do I make that accessible? And, and the way in which you use language when like writing, you know, quick reports or uh, quick news blasts, like that needs to be accessible. You need to be able to kind of read that quickly because, Often, I think in, in the domain that I was working in, especially with legal news, people don't really have that much time to just sit down and read through everything. They want to get a quicker kind of understanding around how things work and what are the kind of new developments happening. Um, mm -hmm. And that, for sure, applies over voice as well, where you can't just like copy and paste a 120-word block of text. You know, you need to be thinking about what is the most important information I need to extract from this. Uh, what comes up front, how do I say it, what's the correct language to use, what's the most simple like language to use, that all kind of comes into it for sure. Yeah, excellent. You must have, uh, you, you know, you must have so much experience with considering the various ways you could say something and how it could be received, you know, yeah. how people will interpret it. Yeah, we do tons of testing on our side as well um, to kind of see what learnings work and, and see what works and see how that impacts user uh, engagement and user behavior, if at all. Um, and you know, I think that's the kind of fun bit when you when you try something and you think it's going to be really impactful and it might not actually make as much of a difference. It kind of often makes you kind of take a step back and think, like, okay, what's next? You know? Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm. I'm also wondering. Um, like, I know I'm. I'm really dwelling on this question a lot, but I feel like there's a lot of mileage in it. Um, that with your journalistic experience, like uh, being able to succinctly summarize uh, a concept or an idea or an event or or anything, like that, probably really helps when you're selling your ideas to stakeholders, saying like, I think we should go this way. Yeah, for sure. And I think like. How, how you kind of weed data into those arguments as well, it, it can often be a problem. like the last thing you want to do when you're kind of reading news is just get a bunch of sentences about numbers, really. Like you want to have some meat to the bones as well and kind of flesh out that, that story around data and, and how you do that and how you justify that definitely ties into it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Okay, I'll, I'll move on. Wonderful answers. So again, those people on the podcast aren't seeing what the main subject is, which is around using voice talent in conversational AI. Um, So that's what I'd love to ask you about, because, again, at the uh, chatbot conference um, in Edinburgh, uh, you know, there was a talk by one of your teammates, I believe, uh, from the code code side. Um, Yeah, so Nathan, our head of deployments. Yeah, yeah, Nathan, sorry, thanks. Um, So... Great talk, and he gave examples of uh, some of your voice bots, where it's quite clearly voice talent that have been used there. And you know, this is something that I'm, you know, in in uh, in that talk, like listening to it, it's like it's it's very convincing, and it really has qualities that we can't quite get from synthetic voices. I think, but also I'm very excited by it because my past is in like sound editing and working with voice talents and so on. So I'd love to hear more about uh, your experiences with it. So Andrew, just generally, please, um, you know, let's, let's ground this conversation and I would love to know why, why you and uh, why poly AI choose to use voice talent as well as synthetic speech. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just a bit more background on Polly as well. We are entirely voice first. So every bot we're building, uh, while we can do chat, we can do multimodality, we are designing to be voice first. Um, that is kind of our, our main selling point. And it means that we can really focus and understand how a voice user interface sh- should interact and how it, how it best works with end users, really. Um, mm-hmm. We see voice talent as a really important piece of that. Like The, the, the way that I kind of tend to characterize it is um, we're not looking to like trick users into thinking that they're talking to a human at all, but the end goal is to make them forget that they're talking to a bot. Like that's the kind of framing that, that I can overview it and the way that I approach conversation design really. Um, we we want to make that experience as smooth as possible and move the user's attention away from the system that they're engaging with and directly onto the task at hand. And we find that kind of results in more trust and more kind of engagement and people actually wanting to get whatever they want to get done done through the voice bot. Um, yeah. and we, we've kind of found that when, when we use voice actors, you get way more emotion, you get way more natural interactions, you get people talking to it like it's a human and, and not trying to like second guess what should I be saying in this turn or what should I say and how should I say it? And then there's so much cognitive load there that a lot, like if, if people don't really know how to interact with the system, they're just going to kind of shut down or maybe just use one word answers or you know get the easy out and just ask to speak to someone. Whereas mm-hmm. if you if you use voice actors, you kind of tend to build a way more natural system um, and you can work with them really extensively to, to make sure you're, you're hitting the correct tone and the tone is appropriate to the matter at hand as well. Um, 
But in terms of synthetic voices, th- there's some really good stuff out there, and we do use synthetic voices in our deployments. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not going to be synthetic first anytime soon. Um, yeah. We're constantly evaluating these voices and using them and testing them and doing a bunch of stuff in the background. But they're not quite where, they, where, where we feel comfortable with deploying them uh, for an entire system. I think if you call up and you hear a synthetic voice, 90% of people are going to be able to know that they're talking to a bot straight away. And at that stage, they tend to assume that the bot's not really going to be able to help them with what they want to do because they've got a low confidence in the system. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's all about kind of building up confidence and building up trust, and that really ties into it. Yeah, totally. It's a wonderful answer. Like, that's a really great way of, uh, you know, exactly as you're describing it, it's, uh, you're, you're really pointing to the benefits. And I think, you know, what is often a problem with, with audio in general and, I guess, voice talents within the conversation design space is that it's really seen as like a cherry on the top, like icing on the cake, or, you know, like, oh, we'll just add a voice talent because that makes us seem more impressive, more expensive. But the way that you're describing it, which is brilliant, and I absolutely see what you're saying, is that it it basically eases the user into the experience. You know, when they're exactly as you say, they're not focused on the system; they're focused on the job at hand. Hundred percent. Like I think um, there are some really obvious situations where if you call up online and you find you've got that, you know, press one, press two, um, and it's either recorded by just kind of somebody who's just built quickly built the system. And you can hear it's like low, low quality and someone's just talking into it, which is you know, one end of the spectrum. Or there's like the, the like synthetic voice, which is just kind of grating and kind of annoying and the exact same flat tone that will get very tiring if you're on a five-minute interaction trying to book a, a room at a hotel. Um, yeah. So, uh, Andrew, you've spoken a bit about voice talent and that you do, uh, at PolyAI, you do sometimes use synthetic voices. Can you go a bit more into your experience with it, with the synthetic voices, like what you use and where you would choose to use them? Yeah, I, I think that last bit of the question is really important. Like where you choose to use it is is absolutely crucial. Um, I think there are some parts of the bot that should generally not, never really be synthetic until we get to a level of synthetic voices that are, you know, like match to match human voices, mm-hmm. um, and and those kind of places to avoid anyway are like really crucial areas uh, around. Um, if you are saying stuff like URLs or like really important pieces of information that a user needs to be able to go and do whatever they want to do. If, if we are trying to like help them and support them or give them a solution to a problem, we want to make sure that all the information is being communicated as clearly as possible. Um, I think synthetic voices, um, especially like cloned voices, uh, speech to speech, text to speech stuff. Um, it's really impressive and it is moving in the right direction. 100%. Um, but sometimes like little kind of individual phonemes can can kind of be lost here and there, like the way in which things get cloned. I mean, especially if you're using speech-to-speech, it picks up a lot of accent um, yeah. from, the, from, from the person that's speaking into the system. Um, yeah. And that can often kind of lead to things just being lost. I think I've... Um, uh, like URLs are, are, are the really obvious examples, like postcodes, that sort of stuff, where you want to make sure that you're picking up every single letter there. Uh, and often, like especially when you start to look into accessibility and people who have specific needs in terms of hearing or cognitive issues, um, that can get lost quite, quite quickly. And so um, we are kind of pushing on voice actors for these kind of critical parts of, of the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And there are definitely more, more parts that are more important than others. Um, but like synthetic speech is great for, you know, um, generating information that a user has just given us to confirm with them, 
um, uh, exactly what they've said. That sort of stuff is, 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 is great. Yeah. Okay. I get you. I feel like, um, so if I'm understanding, if I'm understanding correct, I can't talk. Uh, if I'm understanding correct, you're saying that at very critical moments, you would use the, the direct recording of the voice talent and then you would perhaps clone them for other moments like confirmations and so on to understand, right? Potentially. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely one application of it. Um, and you know, just, this is where it comes to having great relationships with voice actors. And we work quite closely with a lot of voice actors where we want to make sure that they're comfortable with anything that we do in terms of voice cloning and and all that stuff. Um, you know, disclaimer, we would never, clone someone's voice without getting the direct consent um and set it <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh yeah like um and, and working with them to kind of understand w- what would work with them and, and what wouldn't uh, ideally we, uh, as of today we want to get as much of the bot recorded in human speech and original voice actor speech um but there are going to be situations where voice cloning uh, and, and synthetic speech is really really useful for sure yeah yeah I totally get you so you spoke about your relationship with the voice talents because um you know, I imagine that you have some kind of database where it's like this one's very good for this kind of thing, or maybe even they're tied to specific projects and brands. Um, and yeah, I would love to know about your relationship with the voice talents, um, how you, you know, let's frame it this way. Like if you have a new project and you are then uh, looking into casting voice talents, yes. could you tell me a bit about how you would go about that? Like. The, the, the relationship with the voice talent throughout the project from casting. For sure. For sure. I mean, I think that's, that's a great way of framing it, looking at if a new project comes in, where do we start really? Uh, and kind of the, there are two, two main places to start. First of all, what, what is the client asking for? Like, do they have any specific requirements in terms of accent or kind of any, any kind of characteristics? Uh, and then second of all um, is uh, understanding what we think would be best for that specific deployment and the specific uses that we're building a system for. Um, okay. And you're looking at locality, you're looking at dialects, you're looking at kind of who we think would, would fit the kind of brand and tone correctly. And then we go out and then we'll find voice actors and, and, and we'll kind of work with them. We'll, we'll understand um, if they're comfortable working with us, um, if, if they have, have any questions up front. Uh, and uh, the first thing we do when we've got a voice actor chosen, um, we will sit down and we'll do a really long live direct session. So we will spend, um, you know, at least an hour um, walking through all the content or as much of the content as we can within that time. Um, and we'll kind of direct them until we get to a stage that we're kind of comfortable and we're happy with. Like, um, we want to make sure that um, what kind of voice actors aren't doing is really acting or sounding like that acting is kind of the, 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 the difficulty of it. And I think we work yeah. with some really great people who have absolutely kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of the balance between making things sound natural, um, but also like not like how I described earlier where some, it just sounds like someone's speaking into, into a microphone really. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of, kind of, kind of key. Um, yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Um, and so uh, does that mean that, you know, you say you walk them through a script for an hour or so, and then does that mean you then leave them and let them record the rest with no direction? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we uh, after we've kind of hit somewhere that, that we're happy with, um, we'll kind of let them handle it. Um, you know, they're professional. Uh, well, they're professionals. They know what they're doing, and and we'll kind of trust them to kind of deliver from then on. Um, I think if we were to to do like a live recording session every time, it would be quite time consuming, uh, and probably just like say we don't really trust them, but we absolutely do. Um, I think some of the stuff that people do is, is fantastic. Yeah. 
Yeah, cool, cool. I think also if 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 they feel they're getting too many notes, too much, you know, line reading, so to speak, like saying, say it like this, yeah. you know, and then it it's actually very hard for them to make that sound natural because they're they're not being themselves. They're suddenly trying to absorb a lot of notes. So yeah, the way you're doing it's great. And um mm-hmm. I would love to know if you get much pushback from them because I know many voice talents aren't so keen on AI because they're they feel threatened. Yeah, absolutely. I think our, our company name having the word AI sometimes uh, people will think, "Well, what's going on here?" Um, yeah. But uh, no, I like I'm absolutely aware of of, of the fact that there is a, a, a not, I don't know if fear is the right word, but definitely like strong concern around the way in which people are using voices um, and uh, like. I, I, I wouldn't say we get much pushback, but definitely like we will spend as much time to kind of clarify how we use and, and, and what we do with the audio. And we would never go and, and do anything without express kind of written consent from, from the voice actor to make sure they're comfortable with it. Um, like I, I, I think, uh, you know, often you can, can maybe get that kind of initial reaction of like, well, what are you going to do with my voice? Cause you know, that's their product for sure. Like that is what they're selling. Uh, and we're never going to try and steal that from them. We want to work with voice actors and make sure that, that the, they're part of the project as much as we are. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, like uh, I, I just really want to make sure that, that, that they're clear on, on how we're using it and we're as transparent as, as we can be. Um, and I think after, after we can have those initial talks, people are really keen and they often want to like call up the bot themselves and, and kind of talk to themselves through it. And I think that's always fun to kind of hear those, those initial conversations, but yeah. Um, yeah. No, sure. And that that's, you know, it's really great that you can, talk them through and get them invested in the project because I feel that, you know, if voice talents do resist this too much, then, you know, then as AI voices get better and better, it's going to be harder for them to come in. Sadly, you know, like um, if, if they don't embrace this because essentially the technology is already in the world, it's not going away. Um, and I think we need to find ways to, to get voice talents to, uh, to work within this industry, you know, because they do bring distinct advantages, right? Yeah. Exactly as you were describing. Yeah, absolutely. And like, uh, we also find that the voice actors approach us and say, "Hey, I've set up a model, and like, you, I, here's a here's a clone version of my voice. Like, how how can we use this? How can we interject it into the actual deployment itself?" And I think that's always great to to, to see. And the what I've generally seen is once we've kind of set up. Um, uh, a synthetic voice people are usually quite happy with it like it's not once it's kind of done it's like the scary bits over um and uh yeah 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 great so you're finding that they're now proactive they're actually cloning their voice and bringing it to you yeah i mean it it, it depends on, on 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 who it is we're working with for sure um but like yeah uh, we, we've, we've had people approach us and say like here's our model do you want to use it um and and that's always been really exciting and working with people who are um you know not just like happy to do it but really excited about doing this sort of stuff and trying to optimize it to, to what works best and seeing how they can help out and everything yeah it's, it's, it's been a really fun ride um seeing yeah. the kind of conversation um move away from like uh having to justify why we're doing it to now like how do we best do it and, and yeah yeah excellent excellent that's great to hear um so something you were talking about there was uh you know in terms of voice actors cloning their own voice it makes me think of updates because Often the argument that I see in here related to using live voice talents is that, hey, we're going to build a bot, and then we know that as we uh, get users to test it, we'll need to update things. So if we need to pay a voice talent, you know, 
like whatever they charge, hundreds perhaps for a recording session. Um, every time we have to do that, it's going to get very expensive very fast and text-to-speech is cheaper. So how do you navigate that area and not end up spending loads on constant updates? Um, I, I think it's an interesting one. Like, um, so, so generally speaking, the, the bulk of the work comes at, at from, from the initial build of the project. Like we, we have a clear idea about what we're building. We want to make sure it's scoped out um, efficiently and effectively, and we understand what we're building, uh, yep. what our content will be effective. And once we've kind of got that, we can then get all the audio that we need recorded and put it into the system. Um, updates after that, I, uh, it's rare that there are like big pieces of work. It's usually quick, quick turnaround. And again, comes back to having really good relationships with, with, with voice actors, making sure that, that they're happy with quick turnarounds and understanding their schedules and making sure everything kind of lines up and it's fun project management piece there. Um, but, uh, in, in, in general, like they are quite quick and it's, um, I, I think what you, what you touched on there is, is, is really interesting where it's like TTS is cheaper. Um, but there are a lot of other kind of places where you can kind of cut corners and, and make things cheaper, but that will lead to a worse experience for sure. I think what we're always striving for, and especially the dialogue design team at Poly, um, we're always looking out for the end user. So we are the kind of people in the room whose top priority is the end user. And because the dialogue designers are involved in the build of a project from zero to one, we're looking at the initial scoping through to the design, through to the build, through to maintenance. There's always going to be someone in the room that's looking out for that end experience and, and making sure that there's some sort of kind of validation and that all the decisions that we're making are generally going to be in the best interests of the end user. Uh, and I think this is where the voice actor piece ties into it because, um, you know, if, if we do need quick updates within two hours, we can, we can do that using synthetic voices for sure. Um, but generally we're going to want to replace that synthetic audio with a voice actor audio. Um, yeah. because it just sounds more natural and we don't want to be having, well, we don't want any jumps between, um, obviously natural voice and obviously uh, synthetic voice because some people are very good at picking that up for sure. No matter how good it gets, I think it's, it's quite a way off until you can fool everyone that it's a very natural voice. Um, so we want to make sure that's as natural as possible. We we're not really like wanting to kind of cut corners and just get something out as quickly as possible. Um, so that's again, comes back down to, to making sure that our voice actors are clued in with what we're doing and our schedules line up and, and everything kind of works from there really. Yeah, cool, cool, great, great. Um, and what you're describing there is making me think of, you know, something I've seen in like TV production is, you know, you would get the actor in after they've acted the scene and you would get them to re-record their lines. That's what I was doing quite often. And because there was a director and producer there and maybe even screenwriter, they would listen to how the actor is saying it or even talk to the actor about it and suddenly they would improve the line in the recording session and that would be the final result and it makes me wonder you know because many conversation designers are working with a digital voice so they're just telling it what to do but you've got a relationship do you find that elements of the design might be updated from what you've seen in the recording session from how the voice talent's doing their job yeah for sure i think um it depends on the deployment um it depends on who we're working with but um what I tend to like to do is when working with a voice actor, we'll, we'll put together these prompts and we'll put together, you know, what we think is the best conversation design. And we tend to design that for the voice that we're working with. Um, but once we get to recording, if, if, if it doesn't really roll off their tongue that naturally, um, then I, I'm generally fine with them kind of rephrasing things to, to, to suit their own voice. You know, the last thing we want to do is kind of push something into their voice that doesn't quite fit and, 
you know, like users hear that, you know, like people, humans are very good at picking up weird things in language, right? There are obviously yeah. like tons and tons of rules that, that define how we interact. If one of those things are just slightly off, someone's going to be like, wait, what, what was that? And again, that shifts their attention back to the system and away from what they're working on. So um, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's all about understanding the tone, understanding who, um, who the agent really is and who the assistant really is. Like um, persona design and character design, I think again, ties into this um, a fair bit where you want to make sure that you're building something that all pieces together. Like if there's something that is slightly out of place there, people will pick up on it and again, the attention moves. The other thing then is also uh, because you're working with real people at the end of the day, you get a lot more control over um, the exact tone, the exact intonation. If there are real specific things, like the, the classic one is, is this question an either or option or is it an inclusive or like, um, do you want a user to say one or two options or just say yes or no at the end? Um, and, and that uh, you, we're getting better at doing that in, in synthetic voices, but it can often lead to some difficulties. Um, and with with whereas with a voice actor, it's just like you you give them direction and they will they will deliver because they know exactly how to do it because it's a very simple human conversation. Um, yeah. The the other side is then um, I think when you're designing for and this is this is quite specific, but designing for kind of quite sensitive um, deployments. So for example, if you're looking at um, you know um, clients who have a lot of people calling up to say that somebody has potentially passed away. Um, and uh, they, they need to kind of help with that. How, how do they deal with that? Um, they had an account with someone. What, what, what do they do? The last thing they want to be doing is interacting with a system that is this very kind of flat and almost like something that they're often quite cheery voices as well. It's like flat, but cheery. Um, yeah, yeah, that yeah. Really is kind of not really the kind of optimal system. And so um, we've, we've worked with voice sound to make sure that um, if a user does mention this, the entire tone of the bot will change. Like, the emotion and, and 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 the intent behind every single prompt can change to match the specific situation. And again, right now, there's not really anything that's synthetic that can get that in the same way. Um, and we see people are like, you know, interestingly, more satisfied interacting with a system that just sounds a bit more understanding than interacting with a human about quite sensitive topics. Because they're, again, they're not focused on the system. They're just getting the thing done. They don't need to worry about um, talking to a stranger who also has thoughts about who they're talking to um, and, and worrying about all that sort of stuff. They can just kind of get the thing that they need and then they can move on through quite a difficult time and making sure that, that the bot is reflective um, and, and uh, you know, dynamic to what, what we're talking about, I think plays a huge role in making sure that people are comfortable in doing so. Yeah. That's an amazing sweet spot where it's like the, the synthetic, assistant you're talking to has the ability to you know to to create this kind of environment where the person feels that there's empathy but mm. still they know it's a synthetic assistant and they can talk to it about things that they wouldn't want to to a real person absolutely yeah again it's just kind of making that that sense of being comfortable to talk to something and just kind of forgetting that you're talking to something that's not necessarily human like you're just doing the thing and moving on with your day like that to me is the optimal experience like things that kind of blend into your day like your phone like you you know you're in with your phone tons of times um but you don't necessarily like pay attention to what what's in your hand like, and like if maybe if you've got like quite an old phone you, you do but like um yeah. a high performing phone you just kind of look at it and you move on and everything kind of works same with a laptop um i think that's kind of the approach i, I take with, with voice assistants as well where it's like you don't want to overthink it. You don't want to make it a big character or like something that's like drawing attention. Um, mm -hmm. you, you want to just 
have it blend in and kind of seamlessly click with whoever's talking to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. I actually have a question related to that. It's <laughs> something that I wonder about because, you know, of course, uh, generally speaking, we are, you know, the, the assistant we're talking to is somehow a human. I say somehow because it's, you know, like emulating a human or it appears to be human. Um, and uh, I think for for many of the reasons you've said, that makes perfect sense because it's like minimal cognitive load. The person just talks to it without thinking about the system. But to turn that on its head, do you feel that there's any scope for talking to inhuman characters? Uh, and not, not just bots, but even like character design, like uh, hmm. anything, anything no, out there. I, I think I could talk about this quite a lot. This is, this is a really fun topic where, um, you know, I think you've seen a lot of people as well trying to like just completely replicate a human, um, especially in the kind of visual sense. You know, um, you can you could log on to a chatbot and there's a, there's a human there talking to you. And I think often you hit problems with like the Uncanny Valley and feeling a little bit uncomfortable. And you, you can tell that this is a bit gimmicky and I don't really kind of want to. I just want to get this thing done. Again, it's like moving attention back to the system that you're interacting with and not always necessarily in a good way. I yeah. think often a lot of the arguments around why you should present yourself as a human is because you can convey more emotions and you can convey more of a connection with people. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't necessarily buy that. I think like the, my, my go-to example for this um, is another movie um, reference where uh, it's Wally. Like Wally is a tiny little robot that says like two or three words throughout the entire film, but I'm still going to cry at that film because it's heart wrenching <laughs> at times. Like you can convey so many emotions without taking a human form. And um, I think like over the phone, that kind of um, that, that way of, of, of interacting with the system has a few more kind of complicated things where, because there's no visual element to it, um, you want to be a little bit careful. Um, I, I think what we've kind of looked at in the past is, is thinking about how do we kind of tap into Kind of general population knowledge of like smart voice assistants, you know, and for sure you can play character design and you can kind of create these systems that feel like something out of sci-fi or something that's a bit futuristic to make users think that they're potentially talking to a system that's a bit better than keywords or just typing numbers into a phone, right? Like you mm -hmm. want to build that engagement. You want to have them want to interact with your system in the first place. And that's partly why we present ourselves as something that is quite human and naturalistic because then people are, quite impressed with with how it sounds and they're more likely to, to give it a go and, and, and see if it can do the thing that they want to do before they ask to speak to someone. Um, and yep. so that's why we tend to get better engagement. Um, and you, I think you could probably argue that you can do the same with character design with even like sound effects or kind of something that's a bit more beyond just talking to a human for sure. It depends mm -hmm. on what context you're using that in. I probably wouldn't deploy it in a bank if someone's calling up and saying I've been mugged and I don't have a card and they get like a fun yeah. sound effect. But you know, if, if you're, you know, working with the specific clients that, that are happy to, to, to play around with that, then absolutely, I think you could get some really interesting effects and kind of, yeah, I, I think there's, there's a bunch of work that could be done there to see how people respond to it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. It's, it's something that really excites me. It's just how to convince people to actually go ahead with this idea. You know, it needs to be tested quite a lot, but I think there is huge potential there and yeah, Wally's incredible. Um, just like a, a wee side note, but the, the designer for Wally's voice was Ben Burt, who did all of the sound design for Star Wars. Oh, and I he's, yeah, he's incredible at making expressive, invented mm. voices. You know, like 
I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of quite a big Star Wars nerd, but um, the the many characters there were speaking like jumbled up versions of uh, quite uh, rare languages. Oh. So that, you know, most of the audience won't recognize it, but still, mm. it's something that the actors could express and give emotion. And then oh. he just basically recorded it and cut it up. I could go on about that for ages, but yeah, he's he's oh, fantastic. I've just finished binging the Mandalorian, so I'm happy to talk about anything like that. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, just just to say, there's an amazing book called "The Sounds of Star Wars," where he goes into his techniques for creating character voices, and mm. it actually has um, like an MP3 player built into the book. No, I, feel, I feel like I'm trying to sell it, so I should stop. But I have it, and I nerd over it all the time, and my kids love it, especially for the uh, droid that goes Roger, Roger, you know, from the Phantom Menace. They, yeah, they play that sound effect like all the time. So yeah, Wally, Wally's brilliant. Um, and yeah, extremely expressive, you know, even, and I think that's one of the things that uh, it may be saying a few words, but the way it says them, it says them emotionally in different contexts, and we react to that. Absolutely. I think, like, when you're looking um, at conversation design as well, like, this plays into it where it's not just the words that you're using. It's not just the content of the words. There's so much more that goes into it than just, you know, putting something down. Um, you know, it's not, like, marketing copy or anything like that. It, you need to, like, think about it as a whole. You can't just design one thing and move forward. And, like, um, I, I think there's a... There's really interesting approaches around how you build out a design team in a company as well. I think, you know, um, the, the, what I've landed on is you want designers who are interested in all of that, first of all, who are kind of get quite nerdy about it. And so most of the designers at Poly have a linguistics background. We come from like uh, undergraduates straight up to PhD level. Um, we have just people who are interested in language and the way in which people interact with one another. And yeah. so when you're designing a system, you, you're not just looking at text. You, you really want to think like, you know, uh, you can do stuff like user personas and kind of traditional kind of like UXy type design and stuff. But also, like, I, I, it's always fun doing it with a telephone system because there's it's rare that you've got one or even like five different personas that all line up with who you're interacting with. Um, the thing that I find really fun and like a really unique challenge with with a phone line um, is generally most of the people that you're calling up are probably going to interact with the system. A handful of times, maybe even once, right? Like you want to make sure that that entire interaction is as smooth as possible, and you often just have one shot to get it right. Um, yeah. And so you need to be thinking about what what are their motivations for calling rather than going online. What are their motivations for asking these questions, and and who do they want to talk to, and and what's going to make them happy and kind of go away feeling like they've achieved something. You know, that's real, really the, the aims behind it. And you can't do that on text alone. You need to be doing that with sound design. You need to be doing that with integrations and all the kind of fun tech stuff that happens, but also yeah, character design and everything that plays into it to make sure that someone is happy and content with what they've achieved using that system. Yeah, totally. I mean, the exactly as you say, the user, the first time user who comes to this bot is taking the entire experience and taking messages from everything they're receiving. So if the text is beautifully crafted, but it's delivered in a way that's like flat or even sounds a bit ironic, then that's mm. a message, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And like that, that so to, to me, the generally speaking, that first thing the bot says is going to be the most important thing as well. Um, because you're calling up a system, and unlike a, a medium like um, Alexa or an, another voice assistant, um, 
with, with a voice assistant that sits in your home that you have spent money on, you have actively engaged in having that thing in your house and you want to talk to it and you want to get something done. With a phone line, it's not always the case that you're expecting a bot on the other side. And so yeah. how do you kind of get engagement in that first place? And to me, it's like that first turn is critical. If, if you're immediately saying, um, like, here are like 20 things that I can do for you, a user's going to think, okay, well, these are 20 things, but I've got, you know, the 21st thing that I want to do. How, like, how do I say what I want to say to get my thing done? Um, mm-hmm. Like, what, what is the kind of like mode of interaction that I need to, 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 to engage with, with the system? Um, but if, and I think the same thing applies for certain synthetic voices, not all, but like, like a, lot, a lot of synthetic voices where um, if you hear it, you're immediately going to think it's, it's a kind of somewhat dumb system because of past experiences that you've had. I, you know, I've not, never really had, before working here, never really had that many great experiences over the phone with, with a bot and going yeah. through phone trees and pressing digits and trying to say something very loudly into it that never really worked. Uh, and so you're going to call on that past experience. Um, and so you really kind of want to make sure that first turn is super smooth. It sounds like it's a sophisticated system and that it can actually help you with what you want to do. And from then on out, absolutely, you want to be dynamic. You want to make sure you're responding to, to the correct context. You want to get the, the right tone because other people, like, otherwise people are going to just take inferences from, from what's been said and take that as meaning, right? Like that then impacts the user's journey. It impacts how they think of the potential brand that they're, that, that, that they're talking to on the phone as well. Um, all those things play, play into it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I, I think I, I'm aware that you, uh, you've been ill recently. You, you had a cold, so, um, I don't want to overdo this because I, I don't want to tire you out. Can I have one more question? Absolutely. Yeah. This is great fun. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. It really is, Andrew. It's great to hear your thoughts on this. Um, so as far as I'm aware, Poly AI, you're not just working in English. You localize your, uh, designs to other languages. And so, uh, could you tell me a bit about how you approach that? Like, do you use voice talents uh, for the other languages as you would in English or using a bit of synthetic speech? And, you know, how, how, yeah, uh, maybe if you generally give me an idea of how you're approaching localization, I would love to hear. Yeah, for sure. This this is a really fun one. Um, there's a lot that goes on in short. It's, it's definitely never going to be a case of you take an English project, you copy and paste it and you're done, uh, you know, just translate it and it's done. Um, yeah. you know, we like, first off, you want to make sure that you've got someone that's working on a project that is a native speaker of what you're working in. Um, you need to make sure that you have someone that has a strong understanding of, of the dialects and the ways in which different languages work together. Um, and also, there are some really fun challenges. So sometimes it often helps to have someone with a decent linguistic background um, around the way in which a language is formed and sentences are formed uh, in certain languages um, that can impact how you then do your conversation design. So, you know, the obvious one is, is uh, verbs that change depending on the gender of the speaker that you're talking to. How do you pick up the gender of the speaking? Are we okay to pick up the gender of the gender speaking? No probably wouldn't try and figure out the gender of the speaker that you're talking to. Um, yeah. But how do you then design a system that, that gets around those problems? Um, having a native speaker, having someone that's got um, uh, decent linguistic skills is really important in, in, in building that initial scope. Um, and then in terms of looking at voice actors, again, um, we'll start from scratch. We'll go out and we'll find someone that we think sounds natural and sounds fluent. And again, that's where that native speaker can come in because they're going to be the best person to assess it. You know, like mm-hmm. it's very hard to tell in a different language if someone sounds conversational and natural or not. You can try, but you're never going to be as good as someone who actually understands uh, the language and has 
spoken it for many, many years. Um, totally. So that's what we're looking for in terms of um, a voice actor. Again, all the same requirements uh, that, that we have for uh, uh, English-speaking voice actors fall on uh, non-English-speaking uh, voice actors. Um, we, we just want to make sure that, again, it's as natural and it's as fluent as possible. Um, and, you know, sometimes we, we play around with some things um, where we have uh, potentially people uh, like voice actors as uh, speaking in their second language. Um, and, and that just kind of adds a little bit of flair as well. Sometimes like people are, um, again, it comes back down to people getting engagement and getting buy-in to that system where mm-hmm. you're going to generally assume if you're talking to an automated system that they're, that they're going to have a fairly standard accent or uh, in English you have like RP uh, in other languages. Like if sometimes if you want to get buy-in, you can, you can play around with like what, accent and what dialect does this person have uh to 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 gain more engagement um but yeah and then and then we kind of build it up from there and i think um once you've built that initial bot testing is really really important and getting again native speakers to people who are really familiar with the language to do a lot of testing before we go live um and testing both in like non-blind so understanding like people testing who understand what the bot does and can test specific happy paths and all that sort of stuff. But then also blind testing where people have no idea what the bot can do. They just have maybe a user uh, profile or persona or a few kind of hints of what the bot is capable of and just go off and try and break it in as many ways as possible, review, and then go live. Um, and again, going live is, is, is the real test where um, you're only going to understand how good your bot is until you put it in front of end users. Um, yeah. And that's when the work really begins where, you know, improvements come in. You want to make sure that um, you are reflective, reflective, sorry, to how users actually engage with it. And that will 100% bear if you have the same bot in different languages that will depend on exactly who is talking to it. So you need to make sure that you are um, modifying and updating the bot uh, according to how end users are engaging with it. And yeah, that's where the work really begins. Yeah, sure, sure. It's something that really struck me in um in localization with with voice was that personas are received differently in different cultures. So you know, like what's a, a tough guy in Britain is different in Italy, you yeah. know, like the way they would act and then that really you know, whatever persona you've designed in one locale, it can change quite a lot for another, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You want to make sure that um, again, you've got someone on your team that really understands this sort of stuff. Like the, the worst case scenario would be taking a, a like a, a British voice assistant and translating it into Japanese and dropping it into a Japanese market. Like that's not like going to be effective. People are going to think it's a very strange system and probably not want to engage with it. Um, yeah. There are tons of rules and tons of things that um, even even if you have a fairly strong grasp of the language as a second speaker, can often get lost. And you want to make sure you're getting as much validation as possible and really understanding your user base before you kind of dig into it, I think. Yeah, totally, totally. I think with cultures, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I even, you know, I live in the Czech Republic. I've been here 11 years and I still wouldn't even want to attempt to localize something into Czech because I feel, <laughs> you know, I, I know the culture well, yeah. but not well enough to get those little nuances that yeah. um, someone who's lived here all their yeah. life would get. Absolutely. Even, even, you know, um, UK English to, to American English, like that, you, you yeah. want to make sure you've got someone that speaks American English that's at least doing some validation on the project before going live because there are really small things that, you know, as a speaker, if you're designing a system, you're going to be putting in your own words and, and your own things that are completely normal um, in, in your own dialect and, and, and your own account, but in, in the wider sense of things can sound really strange. I think the um, 
one that I got called up on. And it was for a Scottish bot, so it was okay. But um, So I'm from Scotland originally, and I think I said outwith, which is not a thing in English dialects, but it's a thing in Scottish dialects. And, and people were really confused about, well, what does that even mean? <laughs> I had to like change a few things. But yeah, you want to get as many eyes on your design as possible in general. Like yeah. When you're designing a system in, in English or in any other language, you want to make sure that once you've done that initial design, You've got other designers that are there to validate that and, and, and work on the system with you. Um, like, I would never have a bot that was designed by one person that's gone live. Like, um, you always want to, want to make sure that you're, you're, you're validating things, both for the language being used, but also then the logic and how the bot functions and the purpose of the bot and all that sort of stuff. Like, that's all up for grabs. Um, and that's all up for debate once we've built a system, uh, and even before that, obviously. Um, but e even after we've built the system, that's all up for debate, and we should be challenging that and should be kind of understanding, um, like, why we're challenging that, like, and people should be comfortable challenging all that sort of stuff within your team. Like, that's all really, really important, I think. And, and making sure there's a strong kind of feedback loop and feedback culture within the team that's working on a project is, is really critical to getting that um, uh, level of kind of testing and, and, and validation, really. Yeah, sure. It's healthy, isn't it? It's like never aiming for the final perfect version. It's being aware that you're just going to be updating and improving forever as much yeah, as yeah. you possibly can. Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, yeah, like I said, once you go live, that's like day one, really. That's where, that's where the work begins. Um, you, you can do as much validation, you can do as much user testing as you want. Um, but really, like, like day one go live is, is, is where that fun work begins. Um, and I think the way that we approach conversation and dialogue design in poly as well within our team um, is that there's never going to be a perfect system. There's never going to be a perfect like set of principles around conversation and dialogue design that all changes constantly all the time in the same way language changes rapidly. And, and yeah. we're never striving to build like the final system that just doesn't exist. Um, but we're trying to build stuff that is um, just constantly better and, 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 and through an iterative process of, of understanding what works and what doesn't, um, yeah, that's all. That's all really crucial. I think the the, the phrase coined from uh, uh, American audiences is like more perfect, right? You want to build something that's just more perfect than than, mm -hmm. than the last one. Um, yeah. Hi, I'm trying to think if there's a Scottish equivalent, but nothing jumps to mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Andrew. It's been a wonderful. Yeah, I don't know if you have you got one a Scottish equivalent of more perfect. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I guess you've got like uh, if it ones you don't succeed, try and try again. But uh, that's is that yeah, it's Robert the Bruce, right? But I don't know if how much of that is real, how much of that is myth. Um, yeah, after being defeated and looks at a spider building his web over and over again. Um, that's yeah. a pretty good analogy. I need to bring that to my team now. <laughs> no, it is totally. I remember. Yeah, I remember this one. Um, yeah, no, it's a good one. No, yeah, good work. <laughs> good work. So, Andrew, it's Wonderful talking to you. Um, great hearing your thoughts on all this stuff and getting your insights. So thank you very much. Thanks um, so much for having me. This has been really fun. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, if people wanted to know more about you and your work, where might they find you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you want to know more about PolyAI, we're at poly.ai. We're on LinkedIn as well. We're constantly sharing stuff. We have fun blog posts and webinars happening all the time. Um, for myself, uh, I guess I'm on Twitter for now while it's still a thing, uh, uh, Andrew underscore, your underscore. But also um, feel free if you've got any questions about dialogue design or, I mean, if anyone is kind of just starting out on this, I'm always happy to talk to people um, about kind of uh, any advice or recommendations that I have. Uh, I'm just Andrew at poly.ai. Um, yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much. Cool. So, Thank you. Great talking to you.
You too.